on the podcast today. We've got uh, Portia James. Welcome, Portia. Hi. Thank you. Thank awesome. you so much for having me. Yeah, stoked. Uh, before we get started, I just want to acknowledge uh, I'm producing this podcast in the lands of the Comox, Homoko, Kalehus, and Kalaman First Nations, part of the larger Coast Salish peoples. Uh, who were one nation before we settlers came in and separated them into reserves. I've been doing this podcast for a little bit now and, and learning a lot about sort of the Black experience um, and uh, and particularly the Black experience in our field. And, you know, it's a Baba this year, uh, first time, amazing, most amazing event I've ever been to in my entire life of any kind whatsoever. Likewise. Oh, yeah. my gosh. It was phenomenal. First it's, time, too. Oh, wow. Really? Oh, cool. It was yeah. my first ABA conference ever. And- really? In 18 years, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. Maybe we can get on that that topic a little bit <laughs> later. Um, yeah, I haven't been to too many myself. Um, I've only been, I've been to two ABAIs and, and, uh, and you know, a couple local chapter conferences and that's it. And, and they, they just, they didn't compare at all. Um, yeah. um, and uh, it's interesting, I was at Bob interviewing a lot of folks, kind of asking them about their experience compared. There's a lot of fo- folks that, like yourself, first time, being at a conference with Baba, but then there was, uh, but I really want to know what folks thought of sort of Baba compared to some of these really big, big kind of ABA conferences. And and they're just, yeah. they're just not the same at all. And, and I think the big, a big part of it is, is sort of, they, they, they often frame some of these other conferences as networking events were really about, you know, uh, you know, dressing up in your sort of, um, um, you know, suit and tie, colonial clothes, and uh, yeah. as it were, and handing out those business cards, and and uh, you know, having a big stack, and you know, uh, you know, maybe a glass of wine at the bar or whatever, and uh, and that was that. Whereas, you know, just it's just so bland compared to what what it was like at Baba. You know, from the from from that very first uh, Black Health Connect event they did. Were you there for that? I was not. I came in that evening, and so right. I missed. It. I missed yeah. it. Yeah, and I think a lot of folks were that way because I think that was sort of a later edition, and uh, everyone had sort of already planned their trips. But uh, I, I was able to go to that, and that was just that was phenomenal in and of itself. Like I, 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 I could have went home after that and still did the best, <laughs> best event ever. Then the next day, this this crazy '90s boat cruise, and then the, you know that was cool. So cool. Um, and then uh, the the gala, I don't think I've ever, I, I haven't been to too many galas either in my life, but if, <laughs> if, if that's the way a gala is supposed to be, then I want to go to more galas. But I, I I got the sense that that's not the way galas normally are. So I'm sure it's not. Yeah. I think one thing about Baba that was, you know, it was my first conference. I didn't have a comparison, yeah. uh, but I've been to a few like networking events mm. um, and there was a sense of community at Baba, yeah. um, that I think that's the part that that's missing at other places is like yeah. just that feeling of community. Um, and I mean, that's something that's really central to not just the Black culture. I think minority cultures have, you know, um, this greater sense of community, this natural understanding of, you know, everyone being a part of one thing. Um, and Baba was so powerful too, because most people that I've spoken to about it um, have never seen that many Black behavior analysts or that many black professionals um, in one space. And so to be, you know, we were all coming from our different silos of the states and, mm-hmm. and you know, being the only black person or right. the only um, woman, you know, for some of us and in leadership positions. And so I think like being able to come together where it was like 
first of all, I didn't know there were this many of us that existed, mm-hmm. but now I have this hope for mentorship and friendship and um, someone who can understand me. Um, and I think that we just, other other conferences or other organizations, I think just miss how important it is to walk into a room and see someone familiar. Yeah. One who looks like you, you know? Well, and, and you talk about sort of the the sense of community, and this is a conversation I've had a lot now uh, with folks because uh, I'm I'm generally interviewing folks that kind of come from some some of these you know sort of the the, the global majority kind of cultures, and um, and most of them come like as you say come from this collectivist society, um, and and it's. Um, you know, it's sort of the, the and it's interesting when we talk about sort of colonialism and decolonization and all those sorts of things. Um, uh, I'm starting to hear it more now, but uh, for a long time, I don't think folks were equating capitalism with uh, with white supremacy. Um, and there's a there's a there's a re, there's a big connection there um, about around huge connection. Of, now huge we know. Connection. Yeah, now yeah. we know it. And, and and really, all of capitalism, you know, and and capitalism is a very individualistic sort of approach to things. How can yeah. I make you know make the most money, make the most build the both wealth off of everybody else? Yeah. Um, and and how can I at the top, you know, have the most and everyone else have lesser? And it's a power thing, of course. And so on, and 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 whereas collectivism is is this is again this overarching sort of you know ideology that all these other cultures kind of kind of go by, um, and you know they don't they don't they don't work together, and so it's it's not surprising that you go to a Baba conference and there's that big sense of community. It's not something that the folks of Baba were like you know intentionally. Well, I mean, they were intentionally, but they weren't sort of yeah. saying, let's do it different here. They were like, let's do it the way we would do it at home. Let's do it the way we do it at our, at, you know, you know, at, at, the cookout. at, at the cookout. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and I keep calling it barbecue at the cookout. And, um, and, uh, and, and, uh, and so it's just inherent that, you know, if, if black folks are getting together and, and creating an event that it's going to look like that, no matter yeah. what. Um, yeah. And, it's so important. Yeah. It's so important to, yeah. I think what's what I'm excited to see and hopeful for is that the organization is able to preserve that for people of color. Yeah. Uh, because so often I have seen, you know, organizations try, they launch something that is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's specifically for a certain, you know, people. And then what happens is, you know, I for whatever reason, finances or politics or whatever slowly it starts to become where it's just more mixed. So now it's just about diversity. Mm. Right. But when things are just mixed, typically the the people of color, especially the black people, become the minority yep. in the group again. You know, and so um it just it, it happens naturally and it happens often. And so I think, you know, what I'm hoping for is that they kind of are able to, of course, and no one should be excluded. But as they continue to grow, that they keep that um, emphasis on making sure that people of color have a safe space to to be able to go, and that the space feels like that, you know. Because for yeah. everyone, just like you said, everyone there, everyone feels it, you know. When when black people party, everybody everybody has a good time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and, and also sort of this idea we we hear a lot about this sort of idea of black excellence. Yeah, and, and 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 black joy is another one that I hear a lot about, and I, um, you know, and 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 I, you know. 
on the surface, you know, hearing those terms, you have an, an idea of what that means, but to actually kind of witness it, you yeah. know, as someone who's not part of that culture is um, it's, it's different. It's something to see. It's something to be witnessed. It's something to be a part of because it's not, I don't think it's what you think it is um, when, if you don't <laughs> know what it is um, and you know, uh, you know, but I, I was just sitting there sort of, you know, the, the joy is, is radiating and, and you wow. could just feel it kind of wherever you went. I li- I didn't go to any presentations uh, because I was out in the hallway interviewing people the whole time Yeah, just, just to see the, you know, the energy in the hallway was, yeah. you know, was, 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 was so, you know, so powerful. Yeah, it was. I think it helped break me out of my shell a little bit. I'm an introvert. Yeah. You know, so it was great for my first, con- it was my first conference and my first time speaking, public speaking in that way. Um, why I chose to do that at my first attendance at a conference. <laughs> <laughs> I just put, I, I told myself I was going to like put myself out there more this year. So I applied yeah. for a couple different things that I thought might be interesting. And I, I of course did not think that I would get chosen. I'm like, they don't care what I have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did. And so it was nice that that was my first time because of course I was, I mean, I had the butterflies. I was literally sweating. Like after I spoke, I was ready to go home because of the emotional work that it took mm-hmm. for me to keep, I was just so nervous, yeah. but I also felt like once I was up there and once I was speaking, um, I felt like I was among family, you know, I think it was really nerve wracking to think, okay, this is, these are my peers you know, which makes it even more scary sometimes because you think they know this industry, they know, you know, they already have formulated their opinions. Mine are possibly going to be unpopular in some areas and um, to be embraced by your own community is so important. Yeah. And so to have never been in a room or in a space with people in my own community, in my field that I, that I am wildly in love with, it was an immense amount of pressure you know, to get up there and to be able to, to speak, but the way that I was embraced, um, even when I was sitting in the halls, because we had a genius operations had a table. So when I was sitting in the halls, just people walking out and coming up and recognizing me from social media, I have like 600 followers. (laughs) (laughs) They all came. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It was just really cool. That feeling of like, of belonging, um, that, you know, you just, you go around and you just kind of go through it because it becomes your normal to feel like let the outcast, you know, but to to feel that that type of belonging um was something that I I'll never forget it. If I can recreate, you know, moments like that for the rest of my life, I will absolutely try. If you're planning on collecting continuing education credits for this episode, you'll need to enter the three secret words at www.cbiconsultants.com forward slash shop. The first secret word is genius. What what did you present on? I'm just pulling out my Baba book here. Um, I presented on radical values. I talked about how um, misalignments with our own personal values in the professional workspace mm. uh, fuels this um, burnout. For especially in ABA. So I shared some data about burnout rates in healthcare mm. uh, in general and how ours are much, much higher um, in ABA and why, and talked about how, you know, a lot of a lot about a lot of things about being in this industry force us to kind of forego our personal values um, or try, mm. but that we really do have choices that we make every day to preserve those alignments and to make sure that, you know, if we believe that family is first then we should be giving it our all for the families that we serve. But mm-hmm. at 5 p.m., we should be turning off our phones and 
being with our family, mm. um, which is, you know, really difficult to do. But the, the closer we can get to being able to have that alignment, the lower our burnout rates will be. Mm. So it mm. was, it was a really, uh, it was fun. It was a really, yeah. really, I, I, I got a lot of really great feedback. So I, I just, you know, there's a lot of burnt out people in this industry. Yeah. <laughs> they needed to hear it. <laughs> but well, it's just accountability back to yeah. the person, yeah. you know, which is important. Well, I think especially, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of burnout for for Black folks and for folks, just yeah. for for marginalized folks because the systems, you know, it's all systems based. I had um, Cami on, and we were talking about burnout, and you know, and I, you know, I thought it would be sort of another conversation about sort of self care. And well, I actually didn't think it would be. I knew it wouldn't be, but um, uh, I think folks probably thought it would be just another conversation about self care because that's what a lot, I think a lot of these burnout uh, conversations seem to be about is self care, which is they're important, yeah. and there's some really good work happening out there, and self care is super important for yeah. for you know, and and I, and I do a lot of it, and I appreciate it, but it's it's just you know, it's it's treating the symptoms right. Um, and 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 you know and you talked about sort of you know the idea of sort of being the only you know black person in maybe in 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 your company or in your setting or in your community or whatever and uh you you end up in these systems where you know they're not they weren't designed for you you know they and 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 uh often uh, i know i heard you talking in kind of you know one of the uh other podcasts about uh, uh, fake ass DEI initiatives, um, and uh, <laughs> my my favorite thing to talk about. <laughs> and 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 uh, you know, and and I and I've talked to a lot of folks about those and kind of how you know uh, they get hired to work in a place and and end up being the only one and end up being given you know or not given fallen told that you're now taking over the DEI role here and now yeah. your job your job is to create policies to protect yourself. And, yeah, and, which is and, just absolutely crazy. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, DEI for me, it, it's a it's a soft spot for me. It's really not a soft spot for me, but I think it's triggering for me. Yeah, to talk about. Um, and when you know, and I have been asked, you know, hey, you're the big, you know, you're all about DEI. I'm like, I am, I am all for <laughs> belonging and inclusion and fair treatment. Equity, yeah. obviously, yeah. but DEI has now become this like phrase. I actually, um, I was doing some research because I, I'll hint at mm. my next 2024, yeah. something I really want to talk about on stages, on platforms is um, DEI mm. because as, as a fake ass initiative, I think it's, it's going to be an interesting topic. I think it'll stir some people up. Um, and with no disrespect to people who are like actively pursuing DEI in their companies. Mm. But I think that um, DEI should be viewed. We should remember that DEI initiatives are an intervention for companies that just lack diversity and inclusion. Um, if your practices are actually diverse and inclusive and there is a sense of belonging um, and should we always be checking for, you know, systemic racism within our system mm-hmm. absolutely even even black people even people of color because it because it's systemic we learn it and then we replicate it and so yes we should always be checking but do you know i found out during my research um last week that i think it's 76% of dei um chief diversity officers are white 
Um, so like we can't even have leadership position, 3%, 3.6%, I think it was, are black. Mm-hmm. And then everyone else just kind of mixed in. So we can't even hold the leadership positions in like a field that was supposedly designed for us based on us. Which I think is incredible. And it just speaks to the fact that white people have found a way to capitalize on something. And there's another piece there that you, I'm not surprprised. but there's another, <laughs> there's, another, there's another piece there that's interesting and, and I almost wonder, and I wonder where this comes from, and I wonder if this is sort of just sort of a, you know an angle that they take, but something I hear I, so so we've been doing DEI stuff at our work and and we need it because you know we we have some of those issues and um 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 and, and, you know and and we're you know we're we're, we're we're trying to get to the point you're talking about but one thing that keeps coming up and I hear this sort of particularly mostly from kind of my white colleagues at work um is that the lesson they've been they've they've one of the lessons they've learned is that is that and, and I've heard this a lot, I heard this a lot early on, sort of post post George Floyd, was we don't want to put the work on 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 the marginalized folk, right? You know, they've already been they've been doing this work forever for their entire lives. A lot of these folks are exhausted for good reason. They, you know, they yeah. you know, they they it, 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 sort of you know, so racism impacts sort of every aspect of their lives with their parents even more so. And, um, um, and so it shouldn't be the job of, of, of the marginalized folk in your, in your company to do the DEI work, you should be doing it. And I'm wondering if that sort of thought process has led to, you know, it's like taking up the, yeah, yeah, the the white savior sort of cross mode, um, you know, for, at our company, you know, we're, we're, um, so we've got, I've got, one black colleague um, 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 in our company right now, um, not two now, um, and um, and uh, <laughs> one in the whole company. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The company is probably forty or fifty people. Um, um, uh, we do have. I think. I think we're getting better in terms of sort of the a, a diverse group of staff. I think really the areas, and and, and I don't know this for sure, and I'll have to ask her. Uh, Tadee was her name, um, but I, I I I think one area issue is that. I don't think we have a large black population in general where we are um, relative to sort of other places. I know just out of personal experience, I say this a lot in the podcast that um, before doing this podcast, I think I had talked to maybe five black people my entire life um um really? uh, about anything you like you know about you know about just shooting the shit not about, certainly not about yeah. racism i never talked about racism or or any of the any right. of the issues that were affecting them yeah, you're just, just jumping right in just, like, yeah, <laughs> I, I had my buddy hassan talunzik from from uh from where was he from uh um some some caribbean country when i was five um uh, there was Harold down the street when I was in elementary school, uh, <laughs> African immigrant um, um, that had come in, um, you know, and now the black kid in the neighborhood in a yeah. predominantly white, I grew up in the East Coast in Atlanta, Canada. Uh, uh-huh. And then one friend uh, in high school um, um, and university, I didn't know anybody that was black, uh, except that same friend in high school. 
Um, and then moving out, moving out to out, out uh, west. When I moved to Vancouver, I was living in Vancouver for a while. It was sort of the first time living in a city that had more than hundred thousand people. Um, there was a few more black folks, but surprisingly, not a ton. You know, I, I thought, I, yeah, I thought. Yeah, I imagine there's probably a black community somewhere that maybe yeah. I just didn't get to. Um, uh, <laughs> but, but for whatever reason, but um, um, generally speaking, you know, I don't think that there is as many folks up here, and it's probably, you know, it's, I think it's a pretty, you know, I think because we're a pretty white, <laughs> white yeah. area, you know, and so. Um, I don't, I don't know what point there was, but just, you know, just, uh, oh, so just as, far as, having, as, as far as having representation in, in our, in our employee, in our, in our staff, staff, yeah. group, um, you know, I also know in terms of BCBAs, there are, and I, my very first podcast interview was the only black BCBA I ever met was in our, that, that and, and I think, she, and she thought she was the only one in the province. And it was only as a result, as partly as a result of that podcast that she met the other two black behavior analysts. <laughs> um, um, uh, so there are, I think there are three, right now, three yeah. now in, in British Columbia and the whole province that I know of. I mean, there, and if you're listening, oh. make, make it four, give me a call. Um, yeah. so, um, so we, we don't have, we don't have a, a lot of representation, but, but I was getting to that point. Is it, is, so today was, um, you know, so the part of the the conversation was around, you know, we shouldn't put all this work on her, you know, yeah. uh, but I was like, but no, no, she says she loves doing this work, like she yeah. thrives on this work, like yeah. she is, yeah, she, she, she wants to do this work. And, and yeah. still my white colleagues, um, not my boss, who's sort of running the show, he's white, but he's, 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 you know, he's been totally, you know, empowering and, and supporting yeah. her but but my sort of white sort of frontline colleagues are like you know you shouldn't be getting her to do this work you know you know yeah. it shouldn't be you know it should it's be it's an assumption be. you know yeah. I think I think assumptions you know we know what happens when there are yeah. some people who feel that it is their life's work to yeah. be a part of this work right yeah. um and I like what you said about you know the proportion to who lives there, who mm -hmm. lives in the area. Because for me, I live in San Bernardino County, Southern mm -hmm. California. And it is extremely, California is a very diverse state. Mm -hmm. um, and so I grew up where maybe I could be the only Black child in class, right? And now my kids, there's maybe one other Black child in class um, because of the area, the district that we live in. But in San Bernardino County in general, um, it is extremely diverse. 80% of San Bernardino County's residents are minorities. Mm -hmm. So I think what tipped me off to having issues with lots of things tipped me off to thinking about diversity, right? But what happened was um, I wanted to know, like, for data purposes, um, how what our demographic looks like internally inside of our company at Behavior mm -hmm. Genius and also externally who we're serving. Mm -hmm. So I asked my team to give me the demographic data or give it to marketing and have marketing put it on a graph for me, make it pretty, brand it for us mm -hmm. so I could look at it. And what we found was that 86% of our team were minorities. Mm -hmm. And I was proud because I was like, mm -hmm. we did a good job. Yeah, You know, that's a good mix. And they're not all black, right? There's like 12% black. Um, that's how good the mix is. Mm. Um, but then what I also looked at was our external, who we serve. And about 82% of the people that we serve are also minorities. 
Mm. Um, and not just any minorities. We serve a lot of um, Latino, Spanish-speaking families. 66% at the time of our uh, families were Spanish, that we were serving were Spanish-speaking. And 60-ish percent, it was so close that it was in almost, you could lay it over top of each other, how close the representation was for each member of our team to be able to service someone in their culture, within their culture, mm -hmm. in their cultural community. Um, and obviously, you know, there's research that says that when there is cultural diversity and cultural awareness, which is natural, it's inherent when the person serving you is of the same culture, mm -hmm. um, that clinical outcomes are better. Mm. and how important it is. So we can try to teach people about all these different cultures. I had to learn, right? I had to learn different languages. Living in California, we had, um, some of my favorite families were from, um, were Jordanian. Mm. And love the culture, love the food, love the um, the loud, the parties, the, like, the energy, like love it. Um, and so I had to learn how, how to behave, right? How mm. to uh, not just behave, but how to be relatable, as an American, mm. born in America, um, as a Black woman, um, as a professional, non-judgmental, right? So I had to learn how to be relatable. Um, and in learning how to be relatable, I learned how much we actually have in common. And I learned what was important for that family and how to better service them mm -hmm. using ABA. And it, and it was a very, I, I think I had a very person, very human-centered approach to doing ABA because I understood the necessity of um, cultural, you know, um, knowledge and understanding mm. and respect for that, right? I've had like families who were from India and mm. families who just didn't speak English, you know, Spanish speaking and fam I mean, just so many different types of families have never had a caseload of mostly white kids. So why mm. when I'm coming back to work is everyone in the office, mostly white people? How? Mm. Mm. Except um, in the event that companies are going, are existing here in these diverse areas like mine and hiring more white people how when the demographic mm -hmm. is 85% minority, mm -hmm. right? And so uh, the best people to serve underprivileged are other people who have been underprivileged yep. because there's an innate understanding. There's less relationship that needs to be built, less education needs to happen. There's just this immediate, innate, genuine understanding yeah. um, that I think people want, obviously, people who are in DEI work, they want to have that. And I really want to understand your perspective. Wow, that's interesting. Wow, that's heartbreaking. What can I do about it? But when you have someone who's actually experienced what it feels like mm. to be a minority, we write programs differently. We have conversations differently, mm. you know? And so there were parents that I had to say, your son is 18 and he's a black man. You can look at him like he's three years old if you want, <laughs> but mm -hmm. it is dangerous for him out there. And our goal is to make sure that he knows how to navigate this world for who he is from his, from his, the lived experience that he will have. Yeah. And I understood that because I have brothers, because I watch the news, because I'm a yeah. part of that community, you know? So I was really proud of that data. And I think, I think that that for me was like, ah, that really is the secret, you know, is, is 
is the company engaging in diverse hiring practices, diverse training practices? And it's not just about diversity. We always, we think a lot about race, but also, you know, I know a lot of ABA companies that would never hire a person on the spectrum (laughs) because we don't have the training. We don't have the support. We don't know how, you know, and it's like, these are literally the people that we are preparing to be in the world. And we are the ones that are going to have compassion Mm -hmm. for them. And we're the ones that are going to have real genuine acceptance, not tolerance but real like acceptance um, and and be able to provide a place of belonging for people who have disabilities. And so we should be the ones to carry that torch. Um, I just don't think that ABA companies specifically, but I'm sure all, but I've only been in this field ever. I just don't think that we're taking the leaders, I think taking the time to think about how important that is um, to uh, the families that we serve, to the staff that we hire and to the entire ecosystem. It's so important. But we're there are so many other things that can distract us from that mission. Um, and I think our most ABA companies, their mission is not equitable works things. Yeah. And mine, mine was autism, right? Mine was like, you know, to every child to have whatever. And I changed my mission at the beginning of this year to be one for equity um, because I never wanted to get too busy or be so distracted that I lost sight of the specific people that we are um, talented and gifted to serve. Mm. Yeah, you know, you talk about sort of the the, the stuff resonate there, lived experience, you know, and and that we don't take that into account when we're in in, in kind of our hiring, uh, you know, both in terms of you know, like you said, the, you know, being neurodiverse. We work with a lot of neurodiverse folks, but also you know, uh, different backgrounds and whatnot. Um, yeah, we seem to be really good at, um, not we as ABA, but we, we seem to be really good at sort of understanding that some of these more external kind of identities uh, are important. So like I think about addictions, um, uh, wow. addictions therapy. We, you know, it's it's almost a no brainer that um, um, an addictions counselor should be someone who had addictions themselves. And I think so, uh, quite often that's that, that's you know, sort of on the on the job ad because, you know, you, you can just relate so much better to someone who's going through that struggle when you've gone yeah. through it yourself. Of course, you've got to know, you know, your therapy and your techniques and that sort of stuff. But just you, I think I also think about sort of one of the reasons I, you know, one of the many reasons I, I, I never got into early intervention um, was because I'm not a parent. Um, and, uh, I can't, I just can't, I just can't relate, relate to kids generally. Um, I like children, I like children. I like kids. I, you know, I like being an uncle, but, um, um, you know, I, I know, you know, I just, I just, I struggle. Like I remember, I remember one time I, I had, I was working, I, I worked in an intervention for an act, a, a year because my advisor through my master's program told me, then you're never going to get into this program unless you've worked in early intervention, because that's what this program was designed for. And that's, you know, that's a whole other conversation. I mean, basically funding, you know, our yeah. fund funding models dictate academic, you know, models and so on and so forth. And so, uh, you know, I, I was primarily working with adults and group homes. I was in, one my, in my sort of class team that was doing that. But she said, you need to go work for a year at least a year. So I worked for literally 365 days um, in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a company that provided early intervention services, um, and I hated it. Um, and, uh, 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 you know, so... It's not for everyone. Yeah, but, I, you, know, and, you know, and a lot of the folks in my field and, and our company, we're, we're primarily like a sort of a, 
a parent training kind of staff training sort of agency. We don't do a lot of direct work and, and, uh, and I, and I know a lot of the consultants that aren't parents struggle, you know, to sort of build rapport and, and, uh, you know, they often are pushing parents to do more maybe than they, they they're capable of because they, you know, maybe just yeah. don't have that experience. So I really get sort of, you know, hiring for that, but it seems like a lot of folks don't. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, it's just, um, it's so important. It's so important to make sure that I think the big question about diversity in the workplace is really, um, do the people who are providing the service, are they a reflection? How closely do they reflect the people that they're serving? That's Mm -hmm. the, that's the question about diversity. And it starts from if I, I, as a leader, um, and my team as a leadership team, um, we should be a reflection and a mirror for the for the staff, for the employees that we lead. Um, and yeah. then those team members should be a reflection um, or a representation of the people that we serve out in the yeah. field. And I think just that very basic, simple concept in looking, if companies were to look and say, well, are we a reflection of the people that we serve? Because if so, then we can serve them better. And that's really the, that's the only thing that, um, that's the only question I think that needs to be Mm -hmm. answered. And then from there, if not, if so, then you're like, okay, cool. Let's make sure that these are part of our systems and they're written into our policies and our processes so that this can continue. If I wasn't here, you know, would this become a capitalistic company, you know, Um, even if I put a white man, if I hired a white chief, right, to be right next to me, or if I, you know, needed to walk away and hired a a white CEO, would the company still have diversity and still Mm -hmm. feel diverse, right? Um, And so that's where the systems and the processes and the policies come in and hiring, you know, and just making sure that um, that's kind of a good place, I think, to start, though, is to ask that question. Are we a reflection of the people that we serve as leaders? Are we a reflection of the people that we lead? Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, then I think you have all the information that you need to start going, okay, where can we make sure that this either continues? Or how can we make sure that this is something that um, that is put in place now and then can be perpetuated? And, mm-hmm. and really, better systems is the only way to, to do that. Yeah. Another problem I, I see and I hear a lot about with sort of with with sort of DEI initiatives is is that they tend to and this I think this is sort of a problem with I I think quite often the E in DEI is 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 equality instead of equity. Yeah. Um and uh and 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 we sort of start to lose. So I, I think for example, just let's just talk about sort of you know black folks for a second um <laughs> and, and 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 for a second we have been for a bit but for the support of <laughs> so supporting supporting like working with black kids and, and 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 in the context of of the u.s and in the u.s you know i think more so than in other countries i think it's a problem in in other countries you know we, we have the issue in canada too but i think more so in the u.s um the the you know the the problem with police and black folks, um, you know, is, is huge, you know, and, 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 you know, I, I, you know, I've had a f- colleagues, you know, ask me sort of about, you know, I had a colleague from, you know, I think they were involved, their family was involved in one of the sort of, um, 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 
know if it was one of the genocidal related things like um bosnia or something like that um no i don't know it was somewhere else anyway they were involved in something where you know it, it was a traumatic experience that lasted a long time but all the players were white um and 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 they were sort of questioning um um the uh yeah the conversation was kind of steering towards that kind of all lives matter language right because because you know they were like well i've been through trauma my family has intergenerational trauma um through through this experience and so on and 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 um and you know and and kind of kind of um um you know getting to that point and and um and 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 once i explain and so they were trying to understand sort of why sort of you know the black folks and the indigenous folks in particular needed focus you know yeah. um uh, you know and I explained to them because when you moved over here to canada um well I asked them were, were are you in fear of your life when you <laughs> when, when you see police you know do you clench your jaw and tell your kids to act this way and do things yeah. differently well no of course not i said okay that's the difference um, yeah. um you know it is uh, absolutely you you're you've you're, you've been through a war i get that you're, you're and there's trauma related to that and and, yeah. and and your kids were through the war and so yes and your parents you know grandparents and so there is some intergenerational intergenerational anyone can have intergenerational trauma it's not a yeah. you know a, a you know a color specific sort of thing <laughs> um um you know it's it, it you know it, it's a genetic thing and um and how that sort of plays out is whatever and and so when I when people talk about DEI, it's often about sort of you know practices for all groups and all identities and all intersections. Oh. Um, and through that, I think we start we we start to lose sort of you know some of the important ones, some of the ones that need extra focus, depending on the context that you're in. Um, yeah. And so, for us in Canada, or particularly for us in kind of British Columbia, I think in Canada overall. Um, well, we certainly do have, and I think more so in Toronto and kind of bigger centers like that, we definitely have, you know, uh, problems with racist police and, and black folks, but I think even more so we have problems with those folks when it comes to indigenous, the indigenous population. Um, yeah. and, and it's a bigger story there. And, um, and we brought a indigenous con- uh, kind of consultant on to talk to sort of kind of uh-huh. get our, get our ducks in a row in that way and one thing he told me was you can't have your the indigenous conversation in the context of your dei initiatives because we will get lost in the mix and you will forget about us and you will forget about the problems sort of central to indigenous folks so you need to have a separate entire separate whatever you want to call it but in canada the term is truth and reconciliation um, and uh, you need to have a truth and reconciliation committee that's kind of focused on that kind of work or you're you're never gonna you know yeah 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 that's huge I could see that I can see that because you're right there are so many different like things that we don't think about you know when we think about diversity or representation you know sexual orientation isn't Mm -hmm. something that me being a provider of mostly early intervention. I, mm-hmm. I don't think about that. No. But we have some kids right now that we're servicing that, you know, have gender differences. And 
I don't know how to speak to that, you know? And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I can see how if you don't specifically go, okay, what do we have? And it's difficult. It's mm-hmm. difficult, which is probably why people don't do it mm-hmm. <laughs> or hire a consultant who wants to, you know, do it. Mm-hmm. But it's difficult because to think, okay, what are all of the different diverse groups that we have? Mm-hmm. You know, um, the, the neurodiverse, and then we have the gender diverse, and then mm-hmm. we have all of these different races, and then mm-hmm. we have these different cultures within races, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's just, um, it's, it takes, I think, a lot of work. But what I think is that um, also it's something that can be easily overcomplicated. Yes. To the point where then, you know, people just are like, gosh, they, they're stuck in the how. They're like in that how phase, like that brainstorming phase forever. <laughs> it's all on a whiteboard. Yep. This is how you know we care, right? Or we, we're collecting data. This is how you know that we care. Um, you know, we value diversity. So we talk about diversity, um, but whether or not that actually ever shifts to like the doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's data to back that where you can say, well, here's all of my receipts of all of the different ways in which I am you know, leading a diverse company and, and here's the outcomes of that. And here's what mm-hmm. those people in the company feel about that. Um, I think that journey is a really long one. Um, and I, and autism services just haven't been focused on that, mm-hmm. right. Cause we're focused on, you know, the service that we put on autism. Yeah. Um, but I think if we thought about it from a different perspective, about how we can better serve our families, then this could very easily be written like into our annual strategy, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think that's kind of where we need to shift a little bit in order to have a more diverse uh, industry. In I've been think, I've been thinking a lot more lately about recruitment and trying to recruit for so you know so we could have a more diverse group of staff. You know, somebody was just sitting here looking at uh, our, our our website and. And looking at, at our, our at our staff, and it's interesting. You look at sort of the first three rows, and everyone's white. And it's not because that's the the the, the, the <laughs> It's actually because the the staff list isn't in alphabetical order; it's in order of yeah. Um, and so you can actually tell that we're 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 doing a better job because sort of the last four rows are five rows are quite diverse, and the wow. first three, and the first three rows are not. Um, and, but the first three rows are mostly folks that were hired first. Um, um, and so, oh, I, I, think I, so I, I think we're doing a better job that way, but I, I think I may suggest we moved alphabetical because it's going to be a while, but folks are going to sort of look at our webpage and go, I have to really scroll down to start seeing people that aren't white. Um, but then there's a bunch at the bottom. Um, uh, but I, I was thinking about sort of hiring and, 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 um, again, you know, it's, it's trying to have these conversations about, you know, equity and equitable practices and you want to make sure that your hiring practices you know yeah. you're looking for qualified people but you want to make sure that you know people from whatever background will have an equal chance of getting that job right yeah. um, um but then we're talking also about the fact that we need more folks from these diverse backgrounds working here to have folks that look like the clients because of that whole you know stuff we've been talking about already um but that sort of means then not being and could mean not being equitable because we 
what we you know we have two we have two 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 equally qualified uh, you know sort of staff folk here or, or, or potential employees one's white one's black you know how do you pick um you know in the end you know um and uh but our problem isn't that i think our problem is is getting those applicants um yeah. and so and yeah, that's so, a different story and so how do you how do you do that i mean i think in a way you're lucky that you're in a community where there's so much diversity and yeah. so the chances are pretty high that you're going to have an applicant um although you know we still talk about sort of the white leaders in, in these sorts of <laughs> in these sorts of yeah. situations you're gonna you're gonna be able to kind of grab get get folks from there we live in a really diverse community and vancouver is probably one of the most diverse sort of big cities in canada really? um i mean i think I, I, I there was a stat one time i'm gonna have to go back and look and see what's accurate but at one point White folks were not the majority. Um, we were, I think, we were third um, wow. to, to East Indian. East Indian, I think, was second, and and sort of Asian, primarily, uh, I think, primarily Chinese folk uh, were were the majority. Um, wow, um, I did not know that. Yeah, and so and and so and and I think and our staff team, you know, somewhat reflects sort of those majorities. Um, yeah. Um, um, but still, you know, still some more work to do, I think, and we're trying to get there, but how to, you know, you know, uh, how, how to be, how to be equitable, but, but also representative, like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering yeah. kind of, kind of how you, how you tackle equity while you need what, well, somewhat being, you know, but preferring certain folks that, are the majority yeah. you know what I mean yeah I think you know the preference is a preference is real right there's like yeah. preference is like the basis of bias I guess yeah. <laughs> you know and so yeah, yeah. you know I think that equity really is about equal opportunity mm -hmm. right not not equality not like where everybody gets a, a chance the same chance but everyone gets the amount of support that they need in order to successfully clear that chance, right? Mm -hmm. Clear that opportunity successfully. So for example, um, I, I do have an example, not, um, well, it is a black mm -hmm. exa example, yeah. I guess. It's not, it's not the race uh, right. equity for me, racial equity for me. Um, we um, had a staff member who came to us who ha uh, has a disability and, um, you know, came and, and just, it was, had never had a job and, um, wanted to spin it. Someone that uh, this person knew worked for us. And we, that person advocated and said, Hey, you know, is there any way that there's some volunteer opportunities for this person? And the first thing I said was absolutely not. There are no volunteer opportunities based on, uh, ability level, right? <laughs> I just, I think that that's wrong. So I'm not going to, I don't hire, bring on volunteers and I'm not going to basically get free labor from someone because mm. they are neurodiverse. Yeah, so yeah. that person would need to uh, apply. I will guarantee them the interview mm. because not for preference, but because maybe that person on their application wouldn't even be considered for this job. Hmm. So I will guarantee that person the interview. And then that person needs to come to the interview. You need to prepare that person as best as possible. 
Mm-hmm. And unless this person bombs the interview, I will hire them mm-hmm. as an employee. Mm-hmm. And then that person has to earn their keep every single day, just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. But I will prepare my team to be a team that can rally around that type of person and make sure that they have the supports that they need in the workplace mm-hmm. to be able to thrive. That's what I can do with my influence. Now, I'm not going to just hire for the purpose of being a good Samaritan. Like I'm paying this person mm-hmm. regularly, but I'm paying everybody else. So I need this person also to do their job because they're holding a space for a job that we actually mm-hmm. need, right? An important job. Um, but so what happened was all of that happened. The person actually out interviewed the other, the, uh, it was a group interview. They out interviewed yes. the person in the group. Um, and then took the job and had, and realized that there were like some difficulties. Like we work with children, these children have behavioral issues. So these behavioral issues were triggering this person's behavioral issues. And and so it was sometimes where the team had to say, you know what, go take a break (laughs) outside. I got this. Um, and my team became frustrated Mm. initially. And there were some like negative statements that were made in earshot of this person. Um, There was just for a period of time on some people's part, there was a lack of compassion because the question became an issue of equality. Why does this person get to take a break when they're overwhelmed Mm. and I have to actually do my job, right? Mm. And so for me, it was simple. I said, these are the types of people that we're teaching, right? Um, This person's working in our teen program. So lots of teenagers, these these teenagers in the next three to five years are going to have jobs Mm -hmm. and they're going to need to be accepted and have a sense of belonging at those jobs. This has to be the training ground for that type of belonging and that type Mm. of experience. And uh, if it, it doesn't feel good for you to just help someone who needs help, then this isn't the place for you. It would go against my values to push mm-hmm. out the person for this reason, right? So give him every opportunity that you can. And 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 if he's not doing the job, write him up because he needs to understand the regular processes, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. However, you guys don't get to uh, mistreat him or make him feel like he doesn't, like he's not a part of our community because he mm-hmm. is. And so there were, of course, there was backlash and some people left and they didn't think it was fair, um, but it was fair for that person. <laughs> I don't think that's mm. the part that was missed, right? I think that the, and that is one of my proudest because my team did come together. The ones mm. who stayed, they did come together. They did make sure that this person was supported. This person has been at Behavior Genius for three and a half years. Nice. It is one of the best employees. Um, it, I mean, follows every rule, take, you know, <laughs> take, takes the time out, communicates, you know, clearly is always on time, finishes, meticulously finishes every single task that this that he's given, you know, and um I'm so proud because I know that those work skills were not easy to come by. Mm. Also know that my team had the opportunity to be a part of something really cool. Mm. And this person can go and work wherever they want to go and work. And I'm just blessed and grateful that, you know, he chooses to stay with us 
But what we, I think what we, what we stood for and what we valued in that moment needed to be first. And my team needed to be reminded. And it was scary for me because I didn't know, right? Like I was just mm-hmm. taking a chance. <laughs> so I'm like, you guys are going to teach her and you're going to, you know, just I was, I was on my, you know, um, mm-hmm. my compassion kick, you know, and um, I don't, I didn't know if they were going to follow my leadership on that. Um, and and if they did follow my leadership, if it was going to yield dividends, because this is a business and, and mm. the person does still have to do their job, right? And mm. the family have to like not complain and stuff, and you know the work needs to get done. And so um, it was scary to stand up for that, but I think that's where it begins, where that person you know wasn't really treated equally. Maybe was mm. given a few more opportunities to learn, right? But maybe this person needs three opportunities to learn to to mastery. Mm. And this person needs seven opportunities to mastery, but mm-hmm. the mastery is, is feasible, right? So will we be willing to give the seven opportunities and also not have it become like a legal issue? Of, mm. Well, you let me go, but you let this person, right? So it is a very like intricate, um, scary uh, thing to kind of navigate, but I think it goes back to what you value. And if we say that we value community and belonging and diversity and all these things that we say that we value, then when we get someone who makes, you know, um, make forces who challenges us, that's mm-hmm. what I'll say. When we are when we are working with someone who challenges either our beliefs or challenges, like the, what it was was it wasn't unfair. It was just a different perspective. It was a it was not the path of least resistance mm-hmm. of hiring someone who's super qualified, who's done this before, who, you know, could do this independently with complete independence. Yeah, that's the easy way to do it. Mm-hmm. But those people are not always my best employees. Mm-hmm. Really, you know, so I think that like. That's the kind of work that I want to do. And if I can't do that kind of work, truly, I feel um, like a fraud to even talk about DEI if that's not the type of work that I'm that I'm willing to do um and I mean so it, is, it won't always work out this person mm. you know these, certain people won't always be the star mm. and there won't always be an opportunity in every but that person has been promoted twice um has had an opportunity to move up started part-time and said hey I want to work full-time we're like mm. perfect You've been here long enough. You know the ropes. We can teach you this. If you can do it, you get this promotion. Mm. Um, I believe that this person will manage um, a a department or a part of our company one day. Mm. Um, And it's because he was given a fair shot for what he needed. And that's the difference, I think, between equity and equality. And so I would love at some point in my own professional development to develop all of our trainings to say how many trials to mastery maybe does a person need and mm. let's make sure that they get that like there's the question of overlaps right for bts for example and how many overlaps should well one or two or then at what point is it an expense to the company for you to need six and if you need mm. six maybe you're just not competent right mm-hmm. and so love to develop training where there are different tracks based on that you know different um individual needs in terms of trials to mastery but we'd also have to be really clear about at what point do we realize that maybe this person just isn't you know for the job yeah so um it's like it's hard and no one is doing it and no one has taught us how to do it 
And it takes, there's so many other things that I can and should be thinking about as a CEO. But if I can't make time to think about that, um, my mission, <laughs> then everything else, um, you know, uh, will be harder to come by. Mm-hmm. I think that's training a lot of folks would want. Yeah. Yeah. It's important, you know, yeah. even just having kids are whizzes. <laughs> They're geniuses. Yeah. But they all learn not only at a different pace, but in a, in a very different, unique ways. How they interact with the environment for their learning is very different. And I think being a behavior analyst is our whole entire job to figure figure that out, to yeah. individualize um, our training, but not to be able to do it um, as it pertains to the workplace is I think we're just doing the the uh, community a disservice that our teams. You know, I think we could build better teams if we were willing to take the time. It's just, I mean, arguably, it's just a lot of work. And so um, you got to be willing to to put down some other things and and keep that at the forefront of the work. Um, and it's hard. It's hard to do that. It's a very doggy dog um, industry, you know, on the finance side, the growth side, the scaling side, the business side. It's just very mm. volatile, you know, industry. And um, navigating insurance and, you know, all of the qualifications and, but let me tell you something, documentation, this person's documentation is at a hundred, yeah. <laughs> you know, some of these skills that I'm trying to get consistency from, from the non-neurodiverse, I guess everyone yeah. is, yeah. Um, yeah, they, their trials to mastery far exceed this person's. Once yeah. this person's got it, the level of consistency is. I mean, this person keeps me in check. Hi, Portia. Um, just want to make sure that you did this thing. I know it's a couple of days early, but just wanted to make sure. <laughs> like, thank you for the reminder. <laughs> right. Uh, work ethic. I mean, that's mm. it's a, just a different way to look at work ethic. I think uh, you make a really good point around the trials for different skills. So. You know, if if you have a staff that's sort of questioning why this guy's getting, you know, seven, seven tries, why I only had three. Um, um, yeah, but maybe you had seven tries for something else. Right. Um, and so it'd be really interesting to sort of look at that data, too, and go like, you know, well, you because everyone looks at sort of equity at these at these sort of individual sort of you know, situations, um, you know, well, that wasn't fair. I didn't get that, but they got that. Yeah. But you got this, this, and this, and this, and this for that thing. And you got, the, you, you kind of, people seem to forget about that. They forget yeah. about the, the supports <laughs> yeah. they got kind of coming in and so on and so forth and just get kind of stuck on kind of that moment. I want, I want my fair share. Yeah. This person has zero behavioral issues. Yeah. Never had a violation. Never had, you know, you are gossiping in the, in the, you know, um, in the, yeah. staff lounge yeah yeah, 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 yeah exactly <laughs> making it uncomfortable for us all yeah. you know so it, it, you're right it's really about like what really are we measuring and that's that's the work that's what I would love to do if if I was if I were a DEI consultant which I'm not mm. <laughs> but if I were that's the work that I would do is mm. you know how do we design effective trainings and by effective I mean effective for every single mm. type of learner mm. you don't have to be neurodiverse for that piece just not to click for you yeah. or for you to just be really, you know, struggling with report writing, even though it's on a template, yeah. right? Um, everybody has their, their thing that they're trying to master. 
and we are having we are we are uh, garnering as much patience as we can for every single person's individual needs. Um, and people who are neurodiverse or people who are black or people who you know um, who have language barriers are just not exempt. Mm-hmm from doing the work of, of truly trying to figure out what it is that they need. And once you've figured out what they need and then you're like, okay, well, I gave it to you. And your performance is not, you know, going to meet mm-hmm. uh, the requirement. And you, we do have to make decisions, obviously. Um, but I think the first thing is like really focusing on what we need to be thinking about instead of being distracted by all and being lost in this like whiteboarding phase. Of trying to figure out what diversity and, and what equity really means and what building inclusive workspaces hmm. is really all about. I think you are a DEI consultant. You just don't know it because, I mean, I think. <laughs> Thank I, you. Well, no, because um, because of some of the stuff you said at the beginning around, you know, you could have DEI initiatives, but you could also just be, you know, equitable and fair in all your practices and then not need them. And if, and I know a lot of us, a, a, a part of your work is mentoring and coaching folks to start their own businesses, particularly, you know, marginalized, marginalized and black folks to help them get into business. And if you're doing that coaching, you're probably sharing a lot of those facts, those skills as well. And, and, uh, you know, you may not be a DEI consultant, but it, it should, it, that should be sort of, like some some mentorship should be like everyone should be a DEI consultant. I, I, everyone should be it. an advocate for diversity. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so we all should want to have an equitable opportunities. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. That's the goal, right? Yeah. That's I mean, for me, my emphasis is building workplaces that people just don't have to recover from. Mm-hmm. Um, including the founder, you know, and I, I went through <clears throat> a period of time. And I think maybe that's why I'm so radical is because I've dealt with racism all my career mm. and being excluded and the best, but still mm-hmm. excluded, you know, from opportunities my entire career and then became a CEO. And I, mm. and I, I feel like there's just been a lot of, um, there's been a lot of conflict and I attribute a lot of that conflict to me being misunderstood as a black woman. Mm. culturally even yeah. in a company that's very diverse it's difficult for people to see a black a woman and a, and especially a black woman in a position of power mm-hmm. um and so i've had my own trials with that both professionally but then also having to be triggered by it and deal with it on a personal level and go to therapy and you know cry at my home office desk right um yeah. And from just feeling attacked by the people inside of my organization. And so I had to really make a decision about um, what I was going to represent. Because at least if I was showing up every day for my, what I believe is my purpose Mm. um, and contributing positively to um, marginalized people that I serve and making sure that I am doing the work on that side, Mm. then I think that it, it helps me to keep perspective about why about why I do the work. Um, and this, these companies that I that I own just being the foundation for that work and how far our reach can go. You know, we have 200 employees. How magnificent could our reach be? You know, and I, there was a, with everything that was happening um, between um, Israel and Gaza, mm. uh, I, I 
was engaged in a conversation, a couple of different conversations about like, I am the type that can, I'm a quiet storm, hmm. but I'm powerful. <laughs> I'm not the yeah. one with bullhorn at the rally yeah. uh, or at the protest, but I am the one that will go. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. attend an organized protest and be mm-hmm. for a cause, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm starting to just now at 200 employees, you know, cause it's been rapid, 200 employees in three and a half years, you really have to shift your everything changes mm-hmm. the more employees you get. And I didn't have time to really digest like what type of impact or influence I have. Um, and, and so what I, what I realized a co- last week when having a couple conversations about that is, you know, I can go to the protest, which is what I would normally do. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, my team knows that I am someone who, you know, believes in, in, you know, anti-racism, mm-hmm. <laughs> or anti-racist, but I have to, at this point, I'm at a place where we could also organize a protest because we have 200 families and 100 mm. employees that we could invite and we could have our own protest. We could organize 400 people um, and stage our own protest and mm. make a bigger noise. And I think um, a bigger noise about what we care about which really mm-hmm. is, equity. you know, mm-hmm. I think autism services, we miss that part about being able, our services have the opportunity to give um, a more equitable experience to the kids that we are serving, right? Mm-hmm. If we can them, they should have it anyway. <laughs> but the reality of the world is that there are some skills that you need. You got to be able to communicate, got to be able to advocate for yourself, got to be able to, you know, socially just at least kind of navigate the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. If we could teach them to navigate the world, then we could maybe help them to be positioned for mm-hmm. more opportunities than they would have had without us. That's, that is a, um, that's a mission for equity. Mm-hmm. And I just think we don't think about it because companies are so afraid to make everything about race and everything about culture and everything yeah. about, about it's political. Yeah. Uh, but it really isn't political. It's personal. It's very deeply personal. Yeah. And I think, you know, our responsibility as leaders is to be able to use our influence to really make a bigger impact than just who I am and what I would do in my personal life and sharing that with my team, mm. but saying, you know what, let's protest together. And and I can take it one step further. Let's, um, I haven't told my team this yet, but <laughs> but let's maybe give paid time off specifically to people who want to engage in social justice. Mm, cool. Um, and I think that that is how, that's where then it becomes my personal belief. Then it comes a united understanding, and mm. then it becomes a systemic change within the organization that says like we don't just do this and we don't just stay this and we're not just inviting you guys out and then we're going to feed y'all pizza while you protest and give you water <laughs> yeah <laughs> but if you need to protest whatever it is that you need to protest or if you need to be a part of whatever social mm. justice efforts you feel the need to be a part of that are pertinent to you they're mm-hmm. not all pertinent to me right yeah. <laughs> every, every protest is pertinent to me um but giving people the free, not only the freedom to do it, but saying, we will actually pay you. You, you mm. can take the game um, and do what you need to do for your community. Mm. And I think that that's where like, that's where we start to make real change. 
Wow, that'd be awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> and while people abuse it, right? I've yeah. shared this idea with my mom, and she's like, "What about the abuser?" She's such a mom, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the that's not the point. Mm-hmm. You know, the point is that it's a small price to pay, even for the abusers, and shame on them mm-hmm. uh, for people to really to to know that we're in their corner beyond an email or a blog or something that we can post on our social media. Um, real, real impact. We can mm-hmm. actually just em- employ people to take action if mm-hmm. they want to. Um, and I think that those types of initiatives are true DEI initiatives. <laughs> I, like, and I, I like that it can, and it can, I like the idea that it can be sort of for whatever. So you don't have to protest the stuff that I want to protest. Yeah. You protest whatever you want to protest. And maybe it's yeah. stuff that I, and maybe it's even stuff that you don't even agree with. Yes. Yeah. There are things that I'm like, I wouldn't protest for that. Or I yeah. wouldn't march for that. Yeah. Um, but it's not about what I would march for. Yeah. <laughs> you know, truly, it's about yeah. the freedom yeah. to advocate for yourself. The second secret word is powerhouse. Yeah. For your community. And that's something I can get behind. Yeah. Talk a lot about values, and and I point people to the great conversation you had with Bridget Taylor about uh, radical values yeah. on, on on the Rethink uh, podcast. We'll share the link to that. I think it's a great conversation, so I won't uh, take away from that. But I'm curious about um, hiring. You, you see, so you you've got a this is a, a mission statement that you've changed, right? So you behavior genius was floating around for a while, and then you changed the mission from something to 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 something else. I'm curious. I'm curious about how, uh, sort of a two-part question. Kind of, what kind of work was involved in sort of getting the team on board with this new mission? Um, and two, how do you how do you hire people? You know, that you hope have similar values to you and the company. You know. Well, being able to sort of rule out the folks that are literally looking at your webpage and going, "Okay, this is this is the mission statement." I'm gonna, I'm gonna, answer, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say my values are equity and da 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 because they're on the website, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's it's uh it's a work in progress. It's a yeah. million dollar question, right? Is yeah. how, and I and I've never been a CEO, right. so I have to remind myself of that too. You know, I have more experience as a BCBA clinician, yeah. Uh, so I get the OBM stuff, like I can do that. Yeah. Um, I'm very confident, but in terms of like this leader leadership um, at this level is very, it's still very intimidating for me mm. in some ways um, because there's so much responsibility. There's a lot of opportunity, right? Mm. There's a lot of responsibility that comes with that opportunity. Um, when we changed our vision and mission statement, um, it was an act of courage for me. Um, that year we lost employees around multiple things, but specifically around, you know, people that just didn't really feel that that was relevant Mm. to the work that we do, which was difficult, but it became the biggest honor to have a mission that is so clear that people will know whether or not it resonates with them. Mm. I think one thing that I learned is that we want our mission and our vision to resonate with people. We want everyone, to, it's a good mission, right? It impacts so many people, it impacts all of us. We want people to be like, yeah, and get behind it. That's what we want. When we change something, we're excited about it. Um, 
I changed it because I realized that I was having conversations about equity. Hmm. My team was literally, some of them, they were leaning to their own understanding on that, you know, on whether or not that was necessary, whether or not that was relevant or whether or not that was fair. Or Hmm. I said, you know what, actually, obviously this is, this is my true mission. And um, I'm honored in that I'm able to make it so clear that the right people gravitate. We have had an influx in marginalized people self-referring mm. as families mm. and also applying. So earlier you were like, oh, it's just how do we get you know mm. minorities to apply, right? Um, we make it very clear on our website that we're a safe space for them. Mm. And then they are like, oh, so one thing about black people is when you're looking mm. for something like you can take your blackest shit, right? And it doesn't matter what it is, cornrows. Yeah. And Google it. And you have to put black people, cornrows for black people, braids mm. <laughs> for black people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, diversity for black people. Otherwise, all the white people come up first. Mm. Um, and wow. yeah, it's it, no matter what it is, yeah. um, pretty women. Uh, handsome mm-hmm. men, and it's like you got to scroll through to find the black people. Yeah. And so my my mission now has become one of like my personal like kind of let's see if this works. Is if someone the best way I can describe it in the way I describe it when I consult is if someone were searching for that thing, whether it's you know if your audience your audience um, was searching for that thing, would they find you? Would you mm-hmm. pop up first? So if they were, because we all know Black people got to say, uh, um, ABA companies for my Black son. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> if they were to search that, mm-hmm. would they find your company? Mm-hmm. If that's what your company is for. I had mm-hmm. someone tell me, I want to be, you know, I want to be like a sex educator for kids on the spectrum. I'm like, beautiful. If someone Googled that, would they find you? No, because it's mm-hmm. not in your mission and your SEO is not off you know so mm-hmm. your marketing doesn't say that that's what it's about why because it's a little taboo right it's different mm-hmm. you're afraid mm-hmm. to make that your mission and because it's different everyone mm-hmm. else's mission is for autism it's so easy if you just change your mission to what you actually care about for people to find you because mm-hmm. everyone else's mission is for autism globally it's more global um so we made the change we made it internally i started uh, writing blogs I kicked it off this change in February of this year with a blog. And the title was why you didn't get a happy black history month email. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I talked a little bit about why it's offensive for companies to, and not just yep. companies that target, you know, things like that. Cause you realize how all the rest of the year we're unacknowledged. We go yep. unacknowledged. Right. And so, um, so I was really triggered and was like, this is how we're going to roll it out, right? In Porsche fashion, not in Porsche, the CEO, the, my top button buttoned and the, the perfectionist and the one that needs to look and act the role. Mm-hmm. But in Porsche fashion, I'm going to tell you guys why I'm triggered every single time I receive an email uh, right on February 1st from all of these companies that I haven't received emails from. I even <laughs> received um, a request uh, last February to speak um, on a panel for Forbes Business Council. Hmm. And I did the panel, but when they asked if I had any questions, my question was, why can't I always be invited? Because mm-hmm. I'm brilliant 
every month of the year. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not just in February, right? Yeah. And they were like, they kind of talked to their tracks and were like, these are things that we're talking about in network, right? Mm-hmm. So I kind of um, talked about how it awesome. kind of kicked off my conversation with my team mm-hmm. about diversity all year with that blog. Um, and it was my first time blogging for Behavior Genius. I've been wanting to do it for a long time. Um, we shared it on our social, we shared it on our little internal platform where our team, you know, exists and communicates and, and things like that. And then after that, every single, we changed the mission. We shared it with everyone, changed our website. Um, I had a, it took a long time for me to even want to put my face on the website because hmm. like, if they know a black woman made it, maybe they're not going to want it. Hmm. You know? um, and so I did that and I, um, with making those changes and being wildly afraid to make them, mm-hmm. um, I learned that the kind of people that are naturally called to work for our organization shifted. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we're we're now in the process of changing our questionnaire for our interviews um, to be more values-based. And with that obviously comes the equity conversation, the diversity conversation. Um, everyone wants to work for an inclusive work workspace. Now, once they get there, they have to decide whether or not they actually want to be an inclusive person. Mm. (laughs) There's some work beyond that, behind that, right? Like, do they want to follow these systems? Do they believe in, do they understand like that trials to mastery? Are they going to, are they going to be like, wow, I'm inspired by that. Mm. Uh, Or are they going to be like, that's not fair. Um, There people are naturally uncomfortable when you take a stance on one side, people are naturally polarized. And so it has been actually easier uh, for people who are not for the mission to weave themselves out. Yeah. Uh, to be called in. Yeah. And that's how it's supposed to be. That's how marketing is supposed to be. That's how sales is supposed to be, right? If we just take the, the warm fuzzies out of it, your mission and your vision should be so clear that if people are looking for you, they will find you. Mm, and if people mm. are there and they don't align, they will be so uncomfortable that mm. they will leave. Um, mm. And that's what I have observed this year. And it's been such a radical uh, thing to observe this change within my company. Mm. Um, but I've enjoyed every minute of it, mm. even on difficult days, because I know that it's it, it was an intentional change. And now I'm kind of, sitting back as the observer and watching everyone's behavior shift around this, this mission Mm. uh, that matters to me, you know, it's worth the people leaving if they have to, uh, to continue furthering the mission. So it's been, uh, it's a work in progress. I think it's something that we do every day. It's not something that will ever be done with. Um, but as I learn new information and I'm able to share it with my team, doing podcasts like this, having more conversations about it, um, I am actually, I don't like the spotlight. <laughs> I'm very uncomfortable with video. Mm. Yeah. Um, I don't know some of these people either. So it's like, you know, just getting to know, I have the anxiety of before, right before I hop on a phone call or mm. a podcast or a webinar, I'm very anxious about, uh, I have a fear of judgment. Mm. Um, I don't ever want to be misinterpreted or misunderstood or, you know, um, so radical that people can't just understand my message. Hmm. So it's scary for me, um, but it's not the scariest thing anyone has ever done in the name of something that they believe in. Mm -hmm. And I remind myself of, you know, the more I talk about it, me, 
my black face, right? I have to be the one to, to say it so that other people know that I'm behind, you know, what I'm about and, and that I'm behind, um, you know, this mission. And so mm-hmm. just, it takes practice though, to keep talking about it and to talk about it in different ways. And even now talking about it, I'm like, you know, I'm always constantly thinking if my team saw this, Mm. If students listening, would they be proud to have me as their leader? Mm. And it will vary. Some will, and some will be like, you know, we don't like it. Mm. There <laughs> she goes. There she goes talking again on the podcast. There she goes. Oh. Watch it. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's scary. It's scary yeah. because I do care what my team yeah. thinks about me. I care if they think that I'm a valuable leader. Yeah. Um, but also I I had to I had to be coached into understanding that I get to create that value and I get to be the kind of leader that's valuable for me, being the leader, because it does take work. Yeah. You know, so I have to be engaged in work that is valuable for me. And then the right people will surround, you know, will will surround me. And it, it feels really good to just be in a space of like honesty yeah. about what I really care about. Not that I don't care about the other things, right? But like what I really, if I took the top, autism isn't at the top. It's not the number one most important thing for me. Those are just, this is the platform that I use to share this message that I have to share with the world, you know? Um, and having to unlearn that after 17 years in the industry, being one way um, took a, an immense amount of emotional work, mm-hmm. but I'm and I'm still working through it. But I I do feel a lot more uh, ground. My nervous system is okay. You know, I told you that earlier. My nervous system is okay about it now. Um, but yeah, it's something we do every day. I'm gonna again. I'm gonna share the links to. You know, I listen to a bunch of podcasts that you were on, and uh, folks can check out. And there's some good stuff around kind of your origin story and kind of how you got in the field and your experience. Um, you know, getting up to you know uh, the clinical operation, scaling a business from 32 to 150, and your and your um, and your you know and you and got then, that. Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, wow. and, and, then, and then and then and then and that was just in the one region, and then getting the job to sort of work on the other 15 regions, and then the the brutalness of sort of. Um, uh, you know, uh, getting locked out of your email after, after, uh, uh, you know, uh, complaining about uh, pay equity. Um, and then sort of the decision that eventually after a few months of, of, of tears and whatnot of, of, of picking up your boots and, and, uh, and, uh, uh, doing things afraid and um and and uh, <laughs> <You didn't work. laughs> and, uh and and kind of you know and kind of and and but you also have this really a lot of experience around, around scaling businesses up and you've done this with your own business right now i'm curious um you know and obviously we can't predict the future and 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 sure. uh, uh and uh but i don't know i there, i don't know a lot about sort of the US systems and whatnot, but something I hear a lot about is about company scaling and then selling. Um, yeah. And uh, and then that whole private equity stuff and so on and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. um, is that, that, that could be a temptation for you 
down the yeah. road as this company <laughs> gets bigger and bigger and bigger and you want to focus more on home life and writing and and uh, yeah. presenting and so on and so forth um have you thought about that and kind of what that yes. that, that could look like and what I that will look like my homes are yeah. my, my armpits yeah. are sweating just yeah. Off yeah. And, I, and I know you're I know like as you said right now you're t- you're probably talking to your employees so you know I, I we don't want to invoke any kind of and evoke <laughs> any kind honest. of response in them you know that that you're planning yeah. on on leaving or anything which I don't think you are but uh, no I, I I yeah. have no um I haven't asked this question <laughs> mm. um I have no intention on yeah. selling my company anytime soon. Yeah. Um, mainly because of my mission. I know how many employees would be. I've been through two acquisitions yeah. myself. Yeah. Um, and they were brutal. Yeah. And so I know firsthand from the employee perspective what happens when when you sell the company, you sell, Mm -hmm. you sell the company, right? The Mm -hmm. mission can change. The branding can change. um, The people certainly change the leadership changes and it's just really hard on people. Um, I will not sell to private equity. Mm. Uh, That's where I stand now. Could change in 10 years, you know, as my kids get older, I'm going to go off and travel, Mm -hmm. but there are so many other options before that. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm just learning. I didn't understand the game of business. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know anything about like someone was like, yeah, that's the whole point is like you build this business, you scale it and then like you sell it for, you know, you spur your money back for a hundred million dollars mm-hmm. or whatever. And then you go on yeah. and start something else, you know, it's yeah. serial entrepreneurship. Yeah. Um, I don't want to be a serial entrepreneur. <laughs> mm. um, I have, I, I love my work. Um, I have. I'm I'm working out a way for me to have the freedom that I need to be able to conduct my work in a way yeah. that is impactful and also to be able to care for my kids at the ages that they're just at really important ages right now where they just yeah. need so much of my attention. Um, so yes, I've had the conversation. I've been asked. I get people who send emails asking. Mm-hmm. I don't um I don't entertain offers because I don't want to be thinking about Mm-hmm. what a hundred million dollars could do for my family mm-hmm. right now. I want to be thinking about um, what five or 10 more years in this specific company could mm-hmm. do for my community. Um, that's mm-hmm. where I am. My family's a part of that community. My kids will be a part of that community. I would love to gift this company to them if mm-hmm. they want. Um, my kids, my two youngest think they're going to be the CEO. Awesome. They argue over everything, so we'll see who gets that. But they know they gotta work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool. They'll be the CEO somewhere. Um, but yeah, I I do think about it, and and to be honest, I've thought about it. I think about it when it's hard to run this company. Mm, I bet very hard, like when maybe payroll is in jeopardy, or okay. when I feel bullied by my my own team. Yeah, um, it's. But that lets me know. I don't think about it on good days, which lets yeah. me know that it's exhaustion. Mm. I've never backed out of anything because it was hard or because I was afraid. So I don't intend to start with my company. This is yeah. you know, my baby. Um, it's my life's work. Um, yeah, so I, I I think that we'll probably shift, right? As we grow, 
Yeah. Uh, capital is an issue, you know, having fi- funding is an issue. There are different reasons why people go private equity. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole idea of it really scares me because I've seen why I've, I've engaged, I've been around more in conversations with people and I understand the intention mm-hmm. of equity. Not that it's wrong. It just doesn't align with my values or the values of my company. So, um, I, I'm not an advocate for private equity, um, Mm. but you know, I also don't want in 20 years, this podcast to air and someone to be like, you said you would never, Mm -hmm. I don't don't know what I would ever do. Um, if the industry took a turn and I couldn't, I could no longer financially support the company, or I was in some state of emergency or personal emergency where I couldn't Mm. physically manage any parts of the company. Um, but selling is definitely not what I'm thinking about when I'm scaling my business. I'm thinking mm. about, I didn't even know that was an option. I just thought, oh, this is my company. I'm going to work. Yeah, yeah. I die. My kids are going to, are going to inherit it. Um, what I'm thinking about is how many different communities or how many different locations, how many different employees can we impact positively? How many marginalized people can we give opportunities to where maybe they wouldn't have had it if it weren't for behavior genius. So that's literally my goals are about how many people we can reach. Can we spend a million dollars using minority vendors in our first five years? Those are the kind of personal goals that I have. Um, They're not around selling for a ton of money right now. (laughs) <laughs> is is and I don't know anything about that. That's great. I figured that you know that that would be where you'd be going. Is was that an exaggeration or, or is a hundred million dollars a real thing in this business? I don't know that it's. A, I think it is. It is a real thing. It happens probably to some people's companies, mm-hmm. right? That you have to be a hundred million dollar company. Pretty big, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I could build a hundred million dollar company. Um, I will every day. Yeah. I will try. <laughs> um, but I don't know if that's the if that's what is likely for this industry right now. Mm. But I am a type of goal setter that always goes right outside of the realm of possibility mm-hmm. and does the thing. I, I like to be the underdog. I didn't used to yeah. like it, but I've embraced it for myself, a black sheep. Um, and so I like to put myself in positions where what I think I'm capable of, what I'm doing or what I'm striving for is right outside of what I even think I'm capable of. That's exciting for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I throw out wild numbers or whatever. <laughs> me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it can be possible. Yeah. If it's possible, then um, I'll yeah. find out. Yeah, it's, 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 just a, it's a whole different world, I guess, in my neck of the woods because we don't have insurance yeah. pay for stuff and uh we don't have regulation i think we have one province that's re- that's starting to be regulated um and the rest well, are ABA services are private pay private no but yeah, no so uh, yes and no so uh, we've got it, it differs wildly from province to province um uh i what i from what i understand Ours is pretty good because I know a lot of folks move from other provinces here for that reason. And mm-hmm. so the way it works for us is 
is so for early intervention so that's basically and it's all, i always love that it's zero to six but you know nothing really starts till they're three um and uh, <laughs> uh, it, families will get uh, with an autism diagnosis it's only with an autism diagnosis mm -hmm. uh will get um i think it's twenty two thousand dollars a year that they can use towards services uh -huh. um they don't have to be aba they have to be we have this thing called the Registry of Autism Service Providers in BC, and uh, and I and I believe that includes uh, BCPAs, but it also includes um, uh, speech paths and OTs yeah. and some PTs, I think. Um, and then um, I believe now we have to be a BCPA, but for a lot of years you didn't. Um, once they're once oh. they once they turn six, that drops down to I believe it's six thousand a year. Um, yeah, it's a big jump. Wow. Um, and uh, the logic for the, a lot of years was that because all this funding is government funding, the logic was yeah. that the rest of the money that they should be getting so goes into this education system now. So now the education now education gets the other sixteen thousand dollars sure. for your kid. But do you actually see that in your services? No, of course not. Of course not. Um yeah. and and you know and half the you know and then we could totally tangent on how half those kids are, you know, excluded and sent out of sent not allowed to be in the school anyway. So now they're not getting yeah. funding and so on. But yeah, basically that and then and the rest is private pay in that regard. Once they hit adulthood, so once they turn 18, there's there's the funding model changes, the different ministry that takes over. Um, and that funding really varies. It's few and far between. I, I know of some guys that are living in group homes and they're living in that group home. They they bring that agency, you know, hundreds of three or three or four hundred thousand dollars a year, um, you know, to pay for their placement in that group home. While at the same time, the 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 folks living that don't live in a group home are are getting you know piddly you know three hours a week of services or whatever sometimes more I mean it it, it varies uh -huh. I, I I know that the that they there are those but 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 it, it it's it's very little and and for the sort of age six and to sort of death um there's no BCBA requirement anymore for services so now so one can be a behavior consultant in most provinces. Um, with okay. with a high school diploma, um, and uh, and wow. uh, it's starting to change a little bit. So, for example, I know for adult services, um, we have these safety plans mm -hmm. off, quite often that are more often seen in adult services than child services. And in order to write and sign a safety plan, now you need to have a master's degree. So, which is interesting: safety plan, master's degree, BCBA. Behavior support plan, high school diploma. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so there's oh. there, there, there's some work that still needs to be done. And, and granted, I will say the funders are are collaborative. Um, we've been on a in a you know in a working group for the past couple of years, working directly with the funders to sort of change mm -hmm. policy and update things. And um, so that's great, but it's slow. And 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 I think until we have some regulation. You know, we're still it's still very risky. And and so behavior consulting in general is is, uh, you know, often leaves a bad taste in people's mouth because they've had so many of these folks with high school diplomas that come and 
you know, recommend a book they read and here's read this book and that's, you know, buy the out of sync child and it'll solve all your sensory problems and move on kind of thing. Wow. Um, I had no idea that it was so, I mean, I knew autism services were here in the States, you know, it's probably better than it is in a lot of places. Um, And in California, um, it's even easier to get, to get services. That's why providers are so stressed. Yeah. <laughs> we're trying to meet a demand that we're never going to meet. Yeah. Um, but I had no idea that it was that unregulated. That's that's insane. Yeah. And of course, we have the same problem as I know everyone has around assessment. Um, yeah. And so, you know, kids getting assessments is a whole other, you know, game. Yeah. And and there there are publicly funded assessments, but the, the wait list, you know, ends up often ends up the kids often end up aging out of the zero to six category before they get a diagnosis. Right. Right. That was what I was concerned about. And it's regardless of what, once they're over six, they're just getting, because there are so many kids who get these late diagnoses, um, especially kids in marginalized communities, underserved populations typically are three, three years later. Yeah. Um, so like we wouldn't stand a chance. Our kids wouldn't stand a chance there. No. And it's, it was entirely the result of one or a, of a single lawsuit that, uh, that a parent, um, and then I think a group of parents, um, um, you know, put in place, uh, uh, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. And that's what led to this funding model for the zero to six. Um, and so we need a lawsuit for the teenagers and we need a lawsuit for the adults really in order yeah. to sort of, you know, start to see some of those services and because we're not regulated if we were able to get regulated then there is the potential for folks to use and insurance is so different in canada because we have you know universal health care right but universal yeah. universal health care is is a bit of a misnomer um, uh, um for a bunch of different reasons but for one reason is is universal health care doesn't mean every kind of health care you know, it means ba- right. universal basic health care, which is great. I mean, I, I, I love yeah. that I can go to the doctor and go to the hospital for emergencies and whatnot and not have to throw down 10 grand and get reimbursed or yeah. whatever. Uh, but it certainly doesn't cover things like, you know, ABA and whatnot. And so uh, but there are extended health services that you, know, you can sort of, you know, insurance that you would get with sort of your medical work benefits or whatever. Um, uh-huh. uh, and they pay they can pay for psychological services. And so um but it's 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 a pittance it's it's like 500 bucks a year you know is what you know and and so there's a potential that that 6000 could become 6500 you know uh, or if you have or if you have dual coverage like your your mom and dad are both got benefits then maybe yeah. it's 7000 right yeah wow i can okay i get that yeah. i get that yeah universal healthcare excludes everyone who has a child with a more significant need mm-hmm. yeah. although then what we often see is then you know and this is the, the and this is the struggle and our company tends to work with these cases in particular because our well, the one thing about our services is, is they're not is they don't families don't pay for them at all uh so our services are different we work within the six to sort of death you know category and um all of our contracts are government contracts um, and we provide basically a year of service of sort of family training or parent training or staff training um, um, to folks often from underprivileged backgrounds and whatnot, because they can't afford the sort of the private pay option. 
Um, uh, but we're often getting these kids that never had a diagnosis or some kids that, you know, got diagnosed at 17 or as an adult or, or whatever. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's nutty. Wow. I had no idea. That is so, it's so interesting how, you know, from different places I was, um, I was on a call last year with Mm. Molly. Um, the founder of the Global Autism Project. Yeah. And she said, you know, their mission, which I always thought was just, you know, beautiful. Mm. Um, and I always wanted to go with them on mm. a um, on a trip. And I just yeah, yeah. my life has been so rapid. I mm-hmm. have to 15 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she said, you know, we I just don't think that access to care should be dependent on where you live because for so many people where they live isn't something that they get to choose mm-hmm. you know and I was like wow you know it's true and so she's like we'll go to them and make mm-hmm. sure you know but still when there's no services actually in these places you know um it's heartbreaking yeah no and I've interviewed a lot of folks from a lot of different countries and it's there none of them have you know any regulation any any funding um, um, uh, you know, I mean, there's, it's, again, it's mostly sort of autism focused, but a lot of these countries, I mean, m- most folks don't even know what autism is, right? I've never even heard of it, you know, um, um, and, you know, it's still sort of, you know, this is a spiritual thing. So maybe the, whether that whether it's sort of you know a demon possession or or uh, you know I interview I interviewed a couple folks from from uh, Nigeria and Ghana and uh, they were telling a story about um, um, one village in this country and again this wasn't a sort of a belief across the nation but in this rural area this uh, I, I believe it was Ghana um, um, the community believed that. That uh, these autistic children or kids with special needs in general were, were, and it's interesting. It's a bit of a bit of a, a weird sort of thing where where they actually, um, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? They look at they look at these kids as being uh, spiritual sort of leaders in a way. Like they're 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 above wow. in a way. Uh, it reminds me of sort of like. Um, um in indigenous communities the two-spirit folk you know um that they're 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 considered sort of be sort of revered that's that's the word i'm looking for they're revered and so they were considered to be children of the water god um in this particular village um which you know sounds lovely and and everything but but then they also believe that you know what those children were looking for was to be returned back to the water god um and what that meant in this particular village was burying the children alive yeah and that and that was sort of the 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 approach uh i interviewed someone in senegal and um and and i think in botswana but they both were telling me about sort of how you know the approach initially for you know they're they're trying to set up sort of these aba programs in some of these communities and how the approach was Again, for you know, they get the di- they don't get the diagnosis. They think the child is born. They see behaviors. They don't know what to do with them. The first approach is to go to 
the the spiritual advisor the spiritual leader for healing or or the witch doctor or some version of that um and and that's the treatment um um and then once that fails as you know most times it does um um, um uh then maybe there's a willingness to sort of look at something else and so it's it, you know we talk about sort of autism awareness and autism acceptance and you know there's real push in in the u.s for in north america for autism acceptance stop it you, you should be aware by now that we're around um, yeah. um we're, we've done a pretty good job of letting you know we exist so now it's about acceptance and and then there's actually more levels now i think than some of the neurodiverse scholars have sort of come up with um um, um as, as as sort of moving ahead but and, and and this sort of move from the medical model to the social model of disability we've had a lot of conversations about that yeah. over in these countries they're not they're nowhere even near the medical model yet they're in the they're in the religious model of disability right wow. and so disability you know these in, in these sort of you know disabilities that aren't sort of you know visible i guess physical more so um yeah. uh, are generally attributed to sort of spiritual problems yeah. um and uh and so it is about autism awareness it, it really is because folks just aren't aware that there's a thing you know that um you know it wasn't about you not praying properly to your god or or <laughs> or, or you didn't do the proper ritual or you know there wasn't you know this this is as a result of the drought you know or whatnot um and uh and so you know it, it's we, we you gotta have a lot of perspective when you're when you're when you're you know, when you're over here i mean it, it's one it, we talk about perspective when we're working with sort of you know marginalized families versus white families but yeah. there's a whole other perspective when you're working in these other countries where okay. this stuff's okay. all, all just brand new and so yeah i definitely you know uh, uh applaud uh the efforts of you know the global autism project and whatnot and uh but even that they even they can't be everywhere you know and, yeah. and there's there are still a lot of countries where there's literally one behavior analyst in the whole nation yeah um uh, and of course we could really get down a tangent as far as yeah, them, getting, <laughs> them getting certified and all that kind of stuff isn't a, isn't always a possibility anymore and so yeah it's uh it's uh yeah I worked for a company, the first ABA company I ever worked for, actually, where we had an opportunity. I had a young child at the time, so I couldn't take it. It was it was a dream opportunity. Mm. Um, they were sending one behavior analyst to spend a year, either one or two years, managing a clinic um, in Singapore. Oh. And yes, yeah, so they put a clinic there and um, maybe two, mm. one or two. Um, and then they were like, okay, anyone from here, because, you know, trying to find a BCBA actually in Singapore, you know, mm. it's just impossible. And so we, we had an opportunity to work abroad. Mm. And I didn't get to go for work. I couldn't leave my, yeah, my yeah, daughter yeah. that period of time, but I did get to go to visit my coworker mm. who got to go. Um, and I spent some time cool. there in the clinic and I got to be, it was just the most amazing thing, to, the gift of being able to take the resources that, you know, that as a, as a business owner, I think about it often because I'm like, mm. well, how do we have to take um, U.S. American resources, right? And not just finance, but education, mm. knowledge, mm. you know, regulation and things like that. So mm -hmm. take the kind of plant them in these other areas and be able to provide a service um, that's equally 
you know, the quality is, is equal to, to what it is here because our, you know, team is actually going and training that team and spending time with them. And she didn't travel back and forth. She had to live there mm-hmm. the time that she was there so that she could really build up that team and make sure that the team was supported to help those kids. Some of those families, they were so grateful. Um, but it's like, like you said, it's such a small, it's like one thing, you know, um, but to be international as a company and be able to have that kind of impact is just incredible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it just, and, and just even, you know, trying to build capacity in some of these places. Yeah. Um, you know, another thing that you might want to look into down the road is, and, and, you know, I know Baba's done a, a good job with some of this is, um, is helping some of these folks, um, uh, uh, some of these sort of you know, black, black folks that are trying to start getting into the field in these countries, um, you know, you talk about sort of being alone in your business, they're alone in their country, you know, <laughs> you know, they may, they, yeah. they may not be the only black person in their country, but they're the only, right. they're, little, they're the only behavior analysts in their country, period. Um, um, and, and uh, I know Baba was helping um, bring some of those folks who went to conference um, in, in the States. And uh, it was just, uh, I know I, I was talking, actually one of the, one of the, one of the guests that I had on, on podcast, uh, um, 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 Josephine, um, Caribbean. Uh, yeah. What, what's that? Caribbean. Was she the one that was from, that was from the Caribbean? No, no. She was from Nigeria. Oh, Nigeria. Okay. There yeah. was a group, a small group that were from the Caribbean. And they yeah, were- that was, uh, Gabby Torres and, uh, and, uh, and her group from Curacao came over. She had, yes. a few, she had a couple folks. And then yes. I think there was someone from one of the other islands as well. But yeah, she brought a she brought a group there, which was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool. Um, just uh kind of getting to wrap it up here a bit and thinking I could keep talking for hours. I, you know, I told you in the beginning, I was so nervous. <laughs> yeah. We're not gonna have anything to talk about. Um anyway, um uh about uh you've talked again, you've talked a lot about behavior genius and the work you're doing there and some of these other podcasts. So I won't take away from that. But I did want to touch a little bit on this one recent thing you were doing with uh with behavior genius that i thought was really cool and maybe yeah. talk a little bit about it. was that the powerhouse yeah <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah that sounds awesome i, I want to know a little more about that and, 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 and um okay yeah uh we my sister and i decided yeah. more black people need to be in leadership seats we need to own businesses i think yeah. we're being run out of our companies you know for just lack of yeah equity um, it's a difficult time <laughs> for, for our country. It's a difficult time to be Black in America. So we're looking for places where we can feel safe, right? So yeah. and a lot of um, a lot of Black behavior analysts right now that are feeling empowered to go into business for themselves. And unfortunately, fortunately and unfortunately, right? Like maybe mm-hmm. they have the courage, but they don't all have the experience. You know, every- The third secret word is self-care. Everybody hasn't even, some of the people I consult with have never even been a clinical director. So they really mm-hmm. don't understand the operations of an ABA company, um, which could be detrimental. So my goal is to educate um, and provide support, education and support, and, and really support specifically in the area of organizational behavior management operations. Yep. Um, so we founded Genius Operations. Mm-hmm. And what we do is we build um, systems for small black owned uh, ABA companies. Um, and last year I had an aha moment, uh, last October, 
that I wanted to to do this um, at a retreat for mm. no other reason than I love to travel. Mm. Um, and also, I think the sabbatical, we should bring that back, right? Like going away, completely away from work to engage in quality work mm. um, is something that we, we're trying so hard to have work-life balance. And I think we're like, either we're, we're really just trying to get to the point where we can vacation without checking our email, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but to go away for the purpose of separating ourselves to be more focused, to hear ourselves think, to, you know, rule out distractions and actually be able to come back with something great. It's just something I've always wanted to do, but it's so hard. It's just so, so busy. Mm-hmm. So Uh, We decided we wanted to create a space like that, um, specifically for Black behavior analysts, and we called it Powerhouse. And Mm -hmm. so that day, the day I had it, I called my sister, I'm like, I have this idea. What do you think about doing a retreat? Like, let's take all of this knowledge and this course that I'm designing, uh, Radical OBM, and let's take it on a retreat um, because... I've never heard of anything like it. Um, and so I, I actually called uh, Adrian from Baba. Mm. And uh, we were talking about our sponsorship this past year. And I said, well, I have you. Do you think that this would be like a good idea? Do you think people would want to go on a retreat like mm. this? He goes, absolutely, yes. Every single year we take a survey. And every year a retreat is like the number one thing that people wow. wish that existed. And Ooh. so I was like, Perfect. So uh, my sister and I, like literally that day, we we uh, went on VRBO and we're like, let's just find a place and, you know, be crazy. We did, had no intention on booking it, but I fell in love with this place in the Dominican Republic. Hmm. And I was like, I must go there. Um, I must go to this place. So uh, we just kind of like, you know, my sister and I do this thing where we like cheers or we, t- we can take anything, a chapstick and we're like, we're doing it. Hmm. Um and so we paid the deposit. We had like no followers, no social media. We didn't, we don't know anyone. Like we're mm-hmm. like, I don't know industry people. I've always yeah, yeah, yeah. stayed to myself. Um and then we just were like, well, I guess now we have to we have to meet people, right? So uh we made the effort to to really connect with our community and let people know what we were interested in and what we were doing. And we we announced this powerhouse trip. The trip took place this October 10th through the 15th. Um, I am still <laughs> speechless about it, but I'll try my best to sum it up. Uh, yeah. people, uh, said yes, came onto the journey. Well, part of them were us. So nine, we had nine, uh, people who attended most of them, um, complete strangers, people mm. that just had faith, like saw us on social media. Wow. Okay. We're going like took the leap of faith to really go and, and be one-on-one and face-to-face with their business. Mm. Um, and we spent five incredible days, um, writing mission statements that aligned with our personal values. We, we actually went through the entire radical OBM curriculum, all nice. six um, hours. So 16 CEUs were earned. Cool. Um, a lot of work was done in those four days, but we also had a lot of play. The, uh, res- I don't want to say it. it wasn't a resort. It was a house, the house mm-hmm. that we had. We were catered to from the moment we walked in. They didn't want us to lift a finger. They brought our drinks wow. out to the pool. It was like being at a resort. Wow. But it was only us. It was only um only only the people that we brought. And we had full 24-hour service. Wow. Um, we did really cool activities. We did dinner in the sky. Uh, we sent the guys on a boys' trip to do ATVs one day. <laughs> um, we figured they needed some adventure. Uh, <laughs> 
we just had an opportunity to get away and to be really intimate about why we are in business. And yeah. I was able to share very, um, very authentically about what my experience has been like, what I've learned and, um, you know, really connect with other business owners. I'll do it in afraid. Um, and just to be in a space, like you said earlier, black excellence, there's nothing like it. Mm. Um, and to be in the space is powerful, mm. but to have been able to create something, um, curate something that was so intentionally for black people, for the black experience. Um, it was by far the most magnificent trip I've ever mm. been on all over the world. Um, but it was just such an intentional time. And I realized that this really is my life's work. These are the next people, right? I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm young, I'm young, but I've been yeah. in the field for almost half my life. So I'm getting um, to, to a place where I recognize that it's time for people like me who've been in the industry for a long time to start uh, leading the next generation of behaviorists um, cool. and really doing it in a, in the right way. And so, oh, we had a, we had, a, we ate all we could eat. We drank all we could drink. Uh, we blasted the music and mm. opened up all the windows. We swam. I mean, we just had more fruit. We took a, we had a yacht party. Nice. Um, it was the most incredible experience to be with other people who I knew were just hitting the tip of the iceberg of, of pulling that, you know, parachute and jumping into their, um, into their personal life's purpose. And I felt, um, incredibly blessed and gifted to be able to kind of usher them into the next phase of their business. Um, we did announce that we'll be bringing back powerhouse every year. Nice. Uh, powerhouse next year is already booked for the same location, um, in the Dominican Republic. And, we are oversold, which means that nice. we have two um, two sets of dates for the powerhouse retreat in 2024. Um, cool. We're excited. It was incredible. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sound, that sounds sounds so awesome. Right on. Great. Yeah. Cool. It was like, you know, imagine that feeling that you had, the energy that you said at Baba, but like spread that across four days. And yeah, yeah. I was sort of just imagining like a mini intimate intent <laughs> Baba with 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 16 people. It just sounds even more awesome. I mean, with with the especially with the service, right? I've never yeah. heard of a VRBO that uh, does all that. Is that just a Dominican yeah. thing? Or? I mean, my, my socks were knocked off. I could not have expected. We planned the meticulously planned every single detail, what we yeah. were going to eat, what we we're going to drink, the timeline. And when we got there, what was beautiful was that I made sure that there was enough time for us to learn and also that the schedule wasn't so rigid that we were just learning and then everyone was exhausted from information overload. And so um, I had no idea, like we picked out all the food and all the drinks and they put them onto menus and like brought the menus outside and we're floating in the pool on floaties to show us the drink menu, right? That we curated, <laughs> that we didn't know. Yeah, and, yeah. They, and, then, and then like brought our drink back to, we didn't have to get, even have to go to the pool to get a drink yeah, or yeah, get food. Yeah. You brought food out to the pool and it was like, I mean, it was just people were like, oh, can I get a smoothie? I mean, oh, yes, we have fruit. You can get anything you want. It was just, wow. I didn't expect, they said, we, you're going to have, you know, three concierge, three butlers, three maids. You'll have to want for nothing. And I was like, okay, you know, whatever. But, you know, I've never had a, 
never had a butler (laughs) or a maid. So I didn't know what this meant. Um, It was just for, for, to be able to provide an opportunity for a bunch of black people to be served in that way. Yes. Um, When you talk about self-care and, you know, I talked and I spoke in Radical OBM at Baba last year or this year about um, how self-care is just, it's not enough, truly, like to, to work your ass off for five days a week and then Saturday, maybe get a massage or maybe work your ass off for eight hours and then do like one hour at the gym or whatever it is that your self-care, it's not enough to make up for how much we're pouring out. And so um, I can't, I couldn't really explain how fulfilled I felt when I came back from the retreat, even Mm -hmm. though I was working the entire time. But my husband said it really great. He said, um, a lot of times we are charging our battery, right? We're draining our battery to zero and then we're recharging ourselves to like 10%, 20% and then draining back to zero and 30, draining back. We're never at a hundred. And he was like, what you created um, filled not only you guys' battery, but every single person in the room had their battery filled to a hundred. And imagine what we can do mm. when we, with a battery on a, I haven't had yeah. my battery. I got kids, Ben. I haven't had my battery <laughs> in 15 years. Um, but that's literally what I realized. Um, it's, it's work-life balance. We'll never really have and the reason is because yeah. we're always operating on like low battery and yeah. we're never actually, you know, doing something that's just so tremendous that we're actually refilled to a hundred. And so um, that's the goal going forward is like, how many opportunities can I get to recharge all the way to a hundred? Cause even when we take a family vacation, when I come back from a family vacation, my battery might be at 60. But to just, we we just did nothing but gave ourselves the freedom to work as much as we could and to rest as much as we could. And um, I'm just, I'm still just blown away by the entire experience. I, I couldn't have expected it. Uh, my sister and I, we've talked about it every day since. We couldn't have planned or imagined anything like this. Um, it was incredible. So every year I will be back uh, for Powerhouse and we will be um, opening two sets of dates. We'll be announcing probably in the next couple of weeks that we will have two separate dates. They may or may not be at two separate locations so that people can choose um, where they want to go, the dates that work best for them. Um, and also we have a lot of alumni, like people who have, mm. who were with us, every single one of them is like, we'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> so um, they took up all the slots. Um, and now we're like, okay, we're going to have to do a second one for, for new people and have different content and different, you know, different training content and different CEUs so that it's not the same information. So we definitely have our work cut out for us, but um, we're excited. We're excited about the future of this particular uh, uh, event. It's going to be fun. You're going to be doing a lot of traveling. Yeah. <laughs> as the years come, because I, I had a buddy of mine, he's a photographer and he started doing these tu- these photography tours. He just started in Japan and mm. now he, and now he spends like six months of the year just traveling all these different countries doing these photography tours basically the entire job is just doing photography tours non-stop wow. and, um, and they, they're always sold out and he just gets to go everywhere in the world and you know like you said he builds these relationships in these communities because you'll be in you know Putacana for a month of years to start getting to know the locals you know 
Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, you'll probably be delivering some services in Putacana. And, and, I would uh, love that. I'd and, be honored. And, you know, and so on and so forth. <laughs> so yeah, no, I think it's going to be awesome. Thank you. Ah, Portia, so cool. So glad you came on the podcast. This was so awesome. Thank you. This is amazing. This is I can I whisper that this may have been my favorite conversation. This is wonderful. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm I'm, I'm honored and humbled. Yeah, and I, that was lovely, and and I can see why uh, why you're all the rage. And uh, I think I think it's gonna just keep just keep going. So this is so, so awesome. Yeah. I cheers. Appreciate it.